You are listening to Shifting Schools, episode 244. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. So great to be here along with my co-host, Trisha Friedman, all the way from Canada, where she is busy shoveling snow. Uh, And here in Seattle, Trisha, I know you're not going to believe this, but uh, it has not rained in seven days, which is uh, this time of year out here on the West Coast, as I know you lived here not that long ago, is... uh, is a pretty pretty good dry spell for us. Wow, yeah, that's kind of shocking. Well, I, I hope know. you do get some rain soon. I feel yeah, like we need uh, some soon. You, for it sure. sounds like you need it. Yeah, yeah, we do. Got a great episode today. We're talking about makerspaces. We're talking about robotics. Uh, we're going all the way to Korean International School today to talk to Mike. Uh, Trisha, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Mike and his background? Uh, absolutely. So I've been following Mike. Bycraft for a while. Again, he is very, very big in the world of maker ed. If that is your forte, his name is one that's probably familiar. But if your line of work in education has nothing to do with robotics or maker ed, stay with us because really at the core of what he does is empathy, is social emotional learning. So Mike Bycraft is an international educator who specializes in design, robotics, engineering, and makerspaces. He's currently the head of design and innovation at Korea International School. Prior to moving internationally, Mike taught AP and IB sciences in the U.S., He has created design programs, makerspaces, and robotics curriculum for K-12 students. So, Jeff, for our listeners today, what are are some of the things that you think they should be listening out for in our conversation? Yeah, I think, number one, what stuck out, uh, what struck me and and stood out to me in this conversation today was just the idea, and you're going to kind of hear a thread throughout this, of just social-emotional learning and making stuff. How does just tinkering and making stuff uh, make us feel good? Uh, and, and what are some of the ways that we can tap into students' emotions and self-care by just going in and making things? And I think you hear that. Uh, I mean, Mike's got such great energy that comes through. You can tell why these kids would love to be in his class. But uh, there's, there's this, this understanding that making stuff is fun. Whether you are painting or it's robotics or you're making paper airplanes, it's just fun to make stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of self-care, I think, wrapped up in, in maker spaces and, and having kids be creative. So I, I think that's some th- a thread and, and something to be listening through throughout this podcast. How about you? What's something else you, you found? Um, well, I love, you know, he's big into the idea of beginner's mindset, right? You don't know mm-hmm. how to do something, really coming to that with curiosity and saying, you know, even when students have an idea for a project and as the teacher, you might not know, meeting that question with, hey, let's figure it out together. Um, I know that sometimes we might feel like there's so much pressure to have all of the answers, but we have to remember that's not possible, right? And I, I do think we model excellent leadership when we say to students, I don't know, let's figure it out. Mm, I love that. And I think the last thing to listen for is just ask the students, you know, hey, what do you want to work on? What is something that you think would be cool to make? And then to your point, we figure out how to make that thing. We can. We live in an age where we have so many resources uh, around our, you know, around us. I mean, I remember when I was a fourth grade teacher, we had bags. I mean, big trash bags of packing peanuts. 
and I would buy the local Safeway out of toothpicks. And we made everything out of packing peanuts and toothpicks. Uh, that's where we started. That was our first iteration of projects. And then from there, we would, you know, upgrade it to uh, toilet paper tubes and, <laughs> you know, everything that you do as an elementary teacher. But there's so many ways that you can actually create stuff. And so when kids say, hey, I want to make this, our job as educators is to say, great, let's do it. And then we figure out how to make that happen. Uh, and I, I just love that idea that comes through here. As you kind of reflect on the conversation for you, what is maybe our big shifted thought for this episode? I'm going to steal it from Mike directly. He, You'll hear him say in our conversation, quote, all design comes from empathy, end quote. Mm. And I think it's important to remember that design occurs across different subject areas, right? Um, an essay is designed. Uh, and, and I think just that idea of centering empathy and asking ourselves, looking across our curriculum or maybe looking across a month or a term, what's going on with empathy? How are we bringing that back to our students for them to be doing that pivoting, that asking of questions, that curiosity stance that allows us to grow as empathetic learners. So for me, um, you know, Mike talks a lot about that. And I, I really, I appreciate how it invites the question for us all to be asking what's going on in our classrooms that's going to really scaffold that process of becoming a more empathetic learner and human being. Yeah. Such a great episode. You're going to love Mike's energy on this one. I can't wait to get you over to this interview and chat with Mike. But before we do that, a quick word from today's show sponsors. Today's episode kicks off our mini series on STEM and makerspaces. And we're so excited to have STEM Sports and Mackin as our sponsors for this mini series. STEM sports is a great way to engage your students in STEM through sports-related activities. You're going to hear more about STEM sports in each of these episodes, and we also will have an interview with STEM sports CEO later on in the miniseries. Mackin and Mackin Maker is our other sponsor for the miniseries. Mackin is your one-stop shop for everything you need to get your makerspace up and running or resupply a makerspace you already have. You'll be hearing more about Mac and Maker in each episode, and we'll have an interview with Mac and Maker lead educator as well. Please do check out both of our sponsors for this mini series on our offers page at shiftingschools.com offers or in the link below. A big thank you to both STEM Sports and Mackin for making this mini series possible. And if you've used either STEM Sports or Mac and Maker in your classroom, shoot us an audio note and tell us how you use them in your classroom today. You can do that right on the front page of the Shifting Schools website. All right. And with that, here's Mike Bycraft, international educator of robotics, engineering, and makerspaces, talking to us about the idea of empathy, SEL, in the makerspace classroom. I hope you enjoy this one. And with that, on with the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. So great to be here with Mike all the way from Korea. And by I mean all the way from Korea, we're all online doing our thing because that's the world we live in today. Also, my co-host Trisha Friedman is here. Trisha, always great to have you along as well. 
Uh, Mike is an international educator. We should have probably started recording and, and have us geek out on our international connections here before <laughs> before this, but uh, we, we had that catch up before we got here as well, uh, talking about the Learning 2 conference, which has been sponsored here quite a bit on the show as well. And uh, Mike is off to a new job next year, and so that's always exciting in the international world as well. And we'll have some other episodes coming up about international education here in the future as well. But Mike, hey, welcome to the podcast my friend. It's so great to have you here. We wanted to get started today with a conversation around uh, all of that you're doing with robotics with with students and have you kind of uh, talk a little bit about your class and how it works. Uh, We do want to point out back in 2021, your project of redesigning a controller was featured on the Makey Makey blog. Congrats for that, man. That's so cool. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your class, how it's working, and this idea of of the redesign concept and how that fits into uh, your class with your students. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, so for me, redesigning, so I was born with one hand. Uh, I have a thing called Poland syndrome, and it's pretty rare, and it affects the right side of the body. So the I was always really nerdy and liked computer games. And when the Nintendo Entertainment System came out, I was 11 or 12. I was in sixth grade. And they had these little teeny controllers with these little teeny buttons. And I could play it, and I was okay, but it was just frustrating. And my dad was a pretty handy guy. So he was like, this is we can fix this. So we just went to Radio Shack, you know, and got a bunch of gear and took things apart and started like soldering and build. And that was just like a thing you did in my house, right? You fix the fridge or you fix a car. And it was really inspiring to be able to just take something apart and make it yours and adapt it to a way that worked. And I think that definitely was one of those formative moments in my life, obviously with like what I do now. Um, but I thought a couple years later, uh, well, more than a couple, I guess, oof, that when I got to teaching, Like students sometimes struggle when we talk about adaptation or adaptive technology and how someone with a disability might just need something for their daily life. It doesn't have to be a huge redesign. It can just be tweaked a little. So I thought about, hey, we got these great makey-makey boards. They're super fun and cheap and easy, and you can do all this cool stuff with them. So I said, hey, let's build a controller. And I showed them, you know, the Super Bowl commercial Microsoft has this great adaptive controller. And uh, then I kind of showed them stuff I've done over the years and kind of stuff I've built for myself and and then said, pick pick a game and or an input device for your computer, right? How much you redesign a mouse. And the kids got super into it so much more than I would have expected. And it was really great. And they had stuff where they like turned their head. So it was hand, one of the controllers was hands free. Um, and it was just it was really fun and cool. And I'm super active on Twitter so I would always tweet Makey Makey and they were hyped and they like scheduled a call and are talking to my kids. And it was just this really great, um, like authentic experience where, wow, you're really getting attention from people that do this for a living. And also, you know, it helped them empathize like, wow, somebody could use a totally different controller. I and love so that. that. And, oh, sorry, sorry Mike. Go, go ahead. No, that's well, I was just going to say, you know, that that authenticity piece, I know that sometimes, you know, folks will question, why do we share the learning that we're doing on social media? And that is a perfect, brilliant example of, I've always found it's 
it can be really powerful to document those moments. You never know what kind of connection there's going to be. You don't know who else is lurking and is learning from that. Um, so I, I love that piece that you were, you happen to tag them. That's how that came about. And now that learning is forever there on that Makey Makey blog. Like who knows how many hundreds or, or thousands of people have stumbled upon that. And, and that kind of links to a message that you share in a video. And listeners, we'll be sure to include the link to this video in the show notes. It's a great video from Reuters where your class's work building a robotics arm was featured. And I love that video. You specifically talk about the intersections of maker ed and disability. And touching back on what you said with those authentic moments in the classroom, you know, sometimes when we're having conversations around inclusion, it's not that it's necessarily like a scheduled lecture, but sometimes it is like those micro moments that we're, we're having conversations. I'd love to hear more about how some of those conversations or those micro moments of learning um, on that intersection of disability and maker ed show up in the classroom or even in the staff room too, because um, I'm guessing you're having some really important conversations with colleagues too. Yeah. Um, I really, the, the Reuters thing came out kind of organically. Uh, one of my kids one day, you know, everybody thinks about when you're building robots, like how can I make this, I'm going to make a robot hand, right? Uh, like it's yeah. goes back to star Wars and Luke Skywalker and you've got, Hey, there's this cool robotic hand. And so one of my students made like a really big one to grab stuff with. And the other kids in class were kind of like, that, that's really cool. I want to make that. And I said, hey, guys, you know, there's people do this for a living, too. Like there's people who need adaptations for or devices. And there's prosthetics that are high tech and low tech and medium tech. And the kids kind of were like, well, well, what else would people need? And I hey, let's figure it out. Let's look at some stuff. And there's a couple of companies I've used in the past and within kind of the, the disability company or community is pretty small. And a lot of people with disabilities are pretty good tinkers because we have to be. And I mean, I built a little thing for my stick shift in my car in high school. And you, you didn't have the internet back then to share it out. But nowadays there's all kinds of stuff. There's gamers on Twitch. Uh, there's a guy uh, who's a quadriplegic who's got one of those puff and blow uh, game controllers. And my students had seen that before. Like, whoa, wow. this is cool. Look at the stuff this guy does. I said, well, yeah, how might, how, how might we do this? And, and why would somebody do this? And as soon as you tie in video games or day-to-day -day stuff, right, just grabbing things with your hands, I think it's much more real to a student. And that empathy aspect starts early. And, you know, all design comes from empathy. And, like, a kid goes, wow, yeah, you probably would want something like this. So they just started tinkering around and they're building hands. They're building them for each other and they're building them for me. And I, I really, it got to a point where I was like, man, we need more gear. We need, we need more people other than me to build stuff for. And you talk about staff and, and that was another discussion too, because I want to reach out to people, but you also, there's always that comfortable aspect of, of whether or not somebody would want to maybe share something with students. Uh, but also they're just, there's not a lot of disabled educators that I know of either. So I was kind of like, well, yeah, I guess I guess this will just be me. But it was neat, too, because teachers from other classes were like, well, well, how could I tie this in? And, you know, just got everyone talking about the idea of of disability and, and what that means to us in our daily lives and how we can make the world a better place. And we were talking about Zoom and how people are sick of Zoom, which I, I get. But also the idea that 
being able to work remotely is a big deal for a lot of people with disabilities. So my students and I were talking about that or talking about like drafting tools. Like we use iPads for CAD and you can draw with these little styluses and just the idea of how much technology can kind of open up the playing field to somebody that might have felt a little restricted before. And Trisha, like you said, getting authentic recognition for work is huge for anyone. And let alone, you know, the news crew coming in and filming my kids was, uh, it was a big deal. And my students are like, is this all about us? It's like, yeah, they're not here for me. They don't care about me. They're here, they're here to see your stuff. I love and that. And I think, I think one of the things, you know, as you're, as you're talking, the thing that keeps coming to mind is just part of, you know, when we're having kids go through inquiry cycles, when you're building something like this, and we start looking at different inquiry cycles that are out there, when you think about the design thinking st- uh, inquiry cycle, you know, it starts with this idea of empathy that you have to understand who you're building the product for. Yeah. And when we're talking about the focus we're having right now in education around social emotional learning, there's no better way than to say, hey, in a robotics class, we can build whatever, we can build all kinds of crazy stuff. But what if we really got to know what do people need? How do people use this stuff, right? And, and be able to start with that, that ability to empathize with others, that ability to look beyond oneself and think about, I've got this power of robotics how am I going to use it to support others? And then it spreads. Like you said, you get talking about it in the staff room and other teachers are wondering how, how do I bring this into my classroom? That is something when it comes to all CTE programs, and especially when we start, you know, creating, designing, I guess, educational experiences through an inquiry cycle, it, it gives us that ability to, to empathize with others, to, to think about how do I truly support those around me and maybe even those that I, I, I don't even know. Do you see that a lot with your kids? I Do you feel that a lot with your, in your class? There. I think that we talk a lot about the internet being a bad thing. And I think it's a really good thing too, because it brings a lot of people together and it lets you hear a lot more stories. And as humans, right, we respond to anecdotes. We, we love personal stories. You put a face on something. And like I was saying, Microsoft has this adaptive controller. And it's, it's a really great thing that's totally adaptable for people with all different ability levels. But the best part about it is they made a commercial for it that has all of these teenagers wanting to play video games. And it's all teenagers with disabilities. And some are like mine and some are much more serious. And, you know, I show that to my students every year and they are just blown away because this idea of there's other people like me that aren't like me. And, mm. you know, it's one thing for it's me, I'm this old teacher, whatever, but somebody their age, and it gets them really thinking about what they have and what others might not have. And the fact that these kids are still, it's the same kid. And then we talk about like mobility and, you know, in the international school world, we don't see a lot of students with disabilities in our schools. There's not a ton of that. And then it's not a, I don't think that's an issue of the schools per se. It's just the population and privilege. Sure. And so, but my students are like, whoa, yeah, how would somebody do that? So we'll watch stuff from the Paralympics. And then all of a sudden you kind of see these kids go, well, yeah, it's easy for me to do this. Maybe it's not easy for other people to do this or these things I take for granted. And you talk about social emotional and we even talk about that. Like 
people with autism or somebody with sensory issues? How how do we adapt these learning experiences or school or anything for them? And and usually a good touchstone for all my students is like sports or video games or books, you know, the things they're all into. So we talk, you know, I show them stuff from the Paralympics and they are just blown away that, you know, you've got people with uh, right. visual like disabilities and blindness who are playing soccer and you got a ball that makes yeah. noise. It's a really low tech solution. It's a great idea. And my kid, one of my kids like, how do they stop people from cheering? Oh yeah. I, I didn't think about that either. And so they'll <laughs> have these, these great insights that I wouldn't either. Cause it's, it's their experiences too. Um, but just even talking about redesigning a keyboard for them, that's just, well, it's a keyboard. And then I say, well, what if you can't use that keyboard or what if you can't see it? Or what if your fingers don't work as well? And then all of a sudden they'll just go and it's easy to build a keyboard. Like we've done custom keyboards in class before and my kids get super into it and they think, well, yeah, somebody might, might need it this way. So it gets to a point now where they see these stories and they get these ideas and they just, they can find something to tie it to in themselves. And I don't know, it's, it's inspiring to watch them and they're so empathetic and kind and they, cause they want people to participate. They, they just didn't even know that's out there. We'll get back to this great episode with Mike in just a minute. But first, if you're looking for a new, innovative way of engaging your students or children, look no further than STEM sports. Teachers, administrators, and coaches in every state are using STEM sports supplemental curriculum that combines the fun of sports with STEM learning to prepare them for future careers. From learning how football helmet technology can help protect players from damage to the brain to calculating basketball shooting percentages, the opportunities to learn while being physically active are endless. Sports kits come fully equipped with all of the relevant sports equipment and necessary science supplies, and no training is required for implementation. It's that easy to get your students excited about learning again while thinking about their future. Find out how you can kick off your STEM journey with your school, after-school program, or camp today by trying a free sample of your favorite sport using the link in the show notes below or visiting shiftingschools.com offers. That's STEM sports, engaging your students in fun, physically active STEM activities. And if you are looking for a one-stop spot for your makerspace needs, Look no further than Mackin Maker. Mackin's Mackin Maker offers a collection of books, kits, and products to supply your maker space. Mackin Maker's engaging, high quality products and custom curated kits are the perfect way to support your current STEM and makerspace initiatives. Whether you are adding to your existing maker education program or creating one that's new, Mackin Maker offers hundreds of top quality products. If you are just starting out and want to create a makerspace for your room or your team, check out the Mac and Maker recommendation list. Their lists include a mix of low-tech, high-tech, and no-tech options, great maker books to get you started, and excited projects to engage your students in both small and large group activities. They have curated lists for both elementary and secondary. It's the perfect resource, whether you're looking for high-tech Lego robotic kits or you're a librarian who wants to start a makerspace in your library. Not sure how to begin? The recommendation lists are a great place to start. With Mac and Maker, there is no need to try and gather resources for your makerspace from different distributors. Everything you need to get started is in one trusted spot. Mac and Maker even offers district level service to provide an equitable makerspace program for every school in your district. 
Mackin and Mackin Maker are a leader in makerspace supplies for schools, and we thank them for being a sponsor of Shifting Schools and our STEM Makerspace miniseries. Head to MackinMaker.com or visit the link in our show notes to start building or resupplying your makerspace today. With access to 3.5 million print and digital fiction and nonfiction titles, Mackin, a trusted source for all your classroom school and library resources. Well, I'm not surprised to hear you say your students are inspiring because, Mike, you know, at the great risk of sounding completely cheesy and corny, like you are so (laughs) inspiring. And and listeners, if you take one thing away from this episode, follow Mike where you can. Um, You know, the, the stuff that you're sharing, not just around robotics and maker ed, both of those things very much outside of my wheelhouse, right? Like not my forte. To give you an example, like this week we had our first big winter snowstorm and uh, my wife was getting ready to leave and she was like, oh no, I didn't put the shovel together yet. Like, what are you going to do? Like she was even concerned, like, you know, this is not even a, a complicated thing, but will you be able to put together a shovel? Um, but, you know, again, when I, when I see what you're working on, again, it does get me thinking about Maker Ed is so powerful, and I'm glad that you brought up the the social emotional piece because I think what you're talking about that process of getting curious, reimagining, and then also putting something together that has real impact is a great way to also think about our well being and our wellness, right? So for someone else who might be listening with very little experience in this world of maker learning, how else do you think they might be able to incorporate? Some of it maybe as like an experiment or a way, again, to just build some wellness into the day. Yeah. Um, that's It's so powerful. It's what draws me to it every day to just be able to pick something up and, and mess with it and get it the way I want. Um, and to go back, you know, thank you for the inspirational thing. Uh, it's funny to think of myself that way. Like I'm just this big, loud extrovert, which really helps too. So I'm always kind of it just excited about everything. And being this human golden retriever, I think really sells that mindset of because I just want to do cool stuff. And that's my favorite thing is I walk up to my students. I'm like, whoa, how'd you do that? That looks so cool. Because I don't know how they do stuff. And I just turn them loose. But I think the best way is for anybody, anybody can do it, anything. You just it takes time. It's like my wife's an artist and an art teacher. And she tells kids over and over and over, like, look, people have gifts, whatever, but everybody practices. Nobody, Nobody's born doing that. You just do it over and over and over and you do more and more. And I started painting three years ago with COVID as kind of a mental health thing. And I was like, oh, terrible. I'm never going to get better. And three years later, I'm like, whoa, this isn't, that's, that's not, that's not nearly as terrible as I thought. And I think design (laughs) is like that too. Like if I were to show you some of the stuff I built in high school and college, uh, it was clearly not OSHA safe. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) the the fact that I'm still alive is a a mystery to us all. Um, And I, I think you just have to get out there and you have to, you find something in your daily life that you use a lot and it could always be better. And you think, wow, how could I make this better? And, you know, we all do little tinkering stuff like that. We do little things in the kitchen. If we cook, we have lots of little tricks and stuff like that for the laundry or whatever. And you find something that, man, I wonder how this could be better. And I think that you don't need technology, but technology helps. The idea that I can now 
go to the library and 3D print something, or I can design something in Tinkercad for free online and, and press a button and it's going to get printed somewhere. And in schools, obviously, we've got that technology and it's powerful. But I think at home now, you can do that. You can send stuff out to people to get printed or made. Um, or you just jury rig stuff together and you do it enough times. And then it's like, well, I really should build something that works like that. Like I work in a, a big wood shop too. And you build these jigs for things that you, oh, I, got, I need something to help hold this board down while I'm cutting it on the router. And you just put it together with screws and it, it doesn't look great. But my dad always has this great saying that if it, uh, if it looks stupid and it works, it's not stupid. And so then, you know, it's, it, it does its job and it's super empowering to do that. And the idea that the things aren't done, right. We get so fixated on finish how cool things look, right? Like my iPhone is so cool and I love looking at it and I'm like, Whoa, this is neat. And you know, they didn't start out looking like that. And we keep remaking and we see these really high end professional things that thousands of designers are working on and they make it perfect. And then we build something ourselves and it doesn't look like that and it, it doesn't look great, but it, it works. And I think that's, it doesn't really matter what it looks like as long as it's kind of doing its job. And I think that's powerful. You do it a couple times and then maybe you're like, all right, now this could look a little better. Maybe, maybe I do work with aesthetics a little more. Um, and I just think that, that anybody can pick that stuff up and we do it and we don't think we do. Right. But we put little shortcuts on our computer or we write little scripts or I've got like a bot that does my email. I mean, that's the same as tinkering or making. It's more powerful with your hands for me because I'm a big hands-on person. But even just our students now are like, hey, can I make a video game? Yeah, of course you can make a video game. That's making. But then I'm like, could you could you make an action figure too? Or make like some marketing stuff or put a box? And they're like, oh, that'd be cool too. So you, I always try to put a hands-on thing into their lessons. But, you know, some people want to make stuff with their hands or their computers or their devices. And it's all it's all good as long as you're just building it and making it and you made something new and it's for you or for somebody else that you love. And then you're like, wow, I made a big difference. I, love I really that. love that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great reminder. Again, you know, the start of a new calendar year, if you're going after some creative endeavors to think, as you were saying, Mike, function before like finesse. Yeah. Um, that might be, that might be a, a good goal. So listeners, if any of you are out there and you're thinking, I want to take on this challenge of making something and I'm going to really just focus in on, does it work? Doesn't have to be gorgeous. We would love to hear about what, uh, what little mini maker experiments you might be tinkering <laughs> with in 2023. Yeah. I have a question for you real quick, Mike. Yeah. Uh, did you play with Legos as a kid? Oh yeah. We, so... Did Sorry, go ahead. Did you uh, did you ever follow the directions and make exactly <laughs> the directions that came with the Legos in the box? Um, yes and no. So I'm I'm gonna date myself because I'm pretty old. But they didn't have the kits. Uh, they just had the big box of Legos. And also, we were we were pretty poor, so we always had the janky Legos, like the knockoff ones. And I remember my buddy <laughs> that I met through summer camp. I came over to his house and he just had these tubs of like real Legos. And it was like, oh, oh, oh. but yeah, it was just like, I'm going to make this house. I'm going to do this. Um, and, and boy, the kits, because my daughter gets a lot of the kits now. And when you do follow those directions, like they are as smooth and polished as I've ever seen. And it's almost like to me, like a little too smooth and polished. 
Like I like making it messy and doing weird stuff. But there's also this this big subset now that I'm into there where people try to recreate things themselves. And like my buddy who I teach with, Justin Marslander, is super into Legos and he's building KIS, our school. And of course, pieces come off. And so he built like the makerspace and, and he built this little Lego lathe. It was so corny, but I'm like, all right, that's really cool. Like, I can't do that at all. <laughs> and it's just like, where'd you figure that out? And he's like, I just kept messing with it. But I did the same thing. I wasn't, I was more into taking stuff apart. So we went through like three microwaves because I was really excited about microwaves. So I would just take them apart to my dad <laughs> the toolbox. And he's like, stop touching the microwave. Those are expensive. Or like cars and bikes. I was really into cars. And my older brother was a terrible driver. And so he would always have something wrong with his car. So like it was just, all right, let's figure this out. Um, so we did probably a ton of damage um, to his car. Or like if you've ever worked on bikes, you know you're a real mechanic when you've done like $300 worth of damage trying to fix like a $50 part. Like, yeah. like that's that's the real mark of a true tinkerer when you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's busted. So I did a lot of that. And I think that kind of got me to where I'm at now. But just that also like lack of fear of mm. you're going to mess it up, right? So you don't follow the instructions and you don't mess anything up. Yeah. So well, I think, I think I, and I think the reason why I asked that question is I find this often and Trisha, I want to, I want to ask you this is too. Did you play with Legos, Trisha, as a kid? Did you have Legos? I also like Mike, I like, we must be around the same age. They didn't have the kits back then. Kits, yeah. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like the way that I played with them was like, you know, I'd have a drawing and then like the Legos would kind of be like scenery Ooh. included in the like multimedia that was yeah. that was my uh, my yeah. multimedia design. But here's so here's one of the things that I think about, and if you're a parent out there, this is just one of those things that I think you start to see this uh, in children younger and younger. It's just my own little non scientific experiment that I work whenever I'm around kids. Whether or not you follow the directions when it comes with Legos, to me the difference is when you get done making whatever it is that you made, do you set it on a shelf and never touch it again? which I've seen kids that do that. Or do you build the thing, play with it for say 10 minutes because you know I'm six and my span of being able to focus on anything is about 10 minutes. And then you rip it apart and build it again, mm-hmm. right? That idea that you're constantly tinkering as somebody who played with Legos, and I probably shouldn't admit, admit this, through college, if you ever, Trisha, want to have a great conversation with my <laughs> wife, you should talk about how she met me and I had an entire farm made out of Legos uh, as a senior in, in college. Um, but there's this there's this tinkering that I think we can even do with younger kids around, yes, be proud that you made something, but how do you make it better or what do you do next? Instead of being this idea of, oh, cool, you made an airplane, we should set it on the shelf and never touch it again. Right? And I yeah, think that, the, that's just a, that's a mental mindset that we get into, I think, sometimes that you can foster even in younger kids. Well, and that's the iterative process. Like, that's yeah. what it is right there. Like, I'm going to make it better and I'm going to do it again. And then I'm going to do it again. Um, and, and what you're talking about is funny with the Lego thing. Because the idea that you're making a display piece and then you never yeah, touch right. it again, that always, that, that's, I think, attractive to me just because I want cool stuff in my house. So if I can build a giant Star Wars thing and set it on my shelf, it's going to look pretty forever. But it does take away from that. You have thousands of these cool little bricks that you can 
remove and change Repurpose and, and do all kinds of cool stuff with. <laughs> yeah, like, why wouldn't you do that again? And then why take it apart right, and right. do it again and do it again? Um, but yeah, like, that's, I think that iterative process is really inherent in a lot of the the design classes, right? You want to revisit something, you made it. And I think our biggest problem is time. Because with my students, like, I also get bored of projects. So I don't want to revisit that five times and make another prototype and test it and make another prototype, even though that's that's the real authentic I also want to do new stuff with students and expose them. Hey, let's do a new technology or something else. Um, so it's it's like a double-edged sword, right? You want to make it and then you're cool and you made this great thing. And hey, I made it. Okay, let's make another great thing. Versus, well, I made a great thing and now I want to make that great thing better or different. Like that's yeah. that's the right, that's the balancing act. Or yeah, just an excuse to buy more Legos. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> or more, yeah, to buy more Legos. But I think that's with everything. I think we don't do a very good job in society. And this is where something I think educators like yourself and, and all of us can be better at. We don't do a good thing in, in society of looking at the iterations it took to get that beautiful iPhone. Yeah. To your point, like the first iPhone versus today's iPhone is crazy. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's incredible. And we're not very good at at looking at that. And I love that kids do that in your class. Mm-hmm. It's okay, we made it. How do we make it better? Or we made it and it broke. Great. What did we learn? Where do we need to put more strength, you yeah. know, to, so it doesn't break? Uh, and it's all those little steps that make the things better. So Well, and I like, you know, Mike, your your point about thinking about our day-to-day life. Maybe that's another great, like, New Year challenge is think about what is the one thing that's a part of your daily routine that you want to make even, like, 5% better? Like, I'm, you've got me thinking yeah. about, like, coffee. What can I do in 2023 to make my coffee 20, 20 maybe 5% better, right? Uh, and, and tinker <laughs> with it. That iterative stuff, I think we can, we can build it into our day. Mike, I know that uh, you've got students coming, inspired students who uh, you're going to be, of course, inspiring more. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Listeners, be sure to connect with Mike. We will have his social handles over there in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's great to see you guys again. And I will talk to you more, but I probably should get going. So sorry. All right. No worries. Thanks again, Mike. If you liked today's episode, please let us know on Twitter at Shifting Schools or Instagram and TikTok at Shifting Schools Pod. Make sure to check out our free STEM-related guides as well by visiting free guides in the menu of ShiftingSchools.com. If you are looking for a speaker or workshop presenter, reach out to Trisha and I as well. We're both full-time educational consultants and love supporting schools in preparing students for their future, not our past. Until next time, we'll see you on the network.